Hey everyone, welcome back to the Trail Life Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jeff Stoner. Thank you for listening in on yet another uh, journey across the podcast airwaves. If you like what you hear, I encourage you to go on and leave us a comment, leave us a rating. That way the podcast gets found a little bit easier. The stories get shared a little bit faster. Also, if you know of anybody who's interested uh, in being on the show or has an interesting story to share, uh, we'd love to hear from them. This is how my next guest came to be on the show. His lovely wife reached out to us via Instagram and got us on. She sent us over his amazing list of events that he's done, his laundry list of events. Uh, Cocodona, Bigfoot, Tahoe, Badwater 135. He does a number of his own self-supported ultra races. Uh, he works with an amazing charity. It was a great conversation and a very fun and interesting conversation. Uh, listen as far as how he got into trail running, how he uh, got tied into the charity he got into. And on top of that, he's from London. So I don't get a chance to talk to a lot of runners from across the pond. So he also shared what trail running is all about over in London, what you can find out there from a trail perspective. If you want to go out and visit, here's where to go run in his opinion. So it's a fun conversation. I hope you guys really enjoy it. Welcome to the trail life. Scott Jenkins. The Trail Life Podcast is presented by Solomon. For 75 years, their passion for outdoor sports, new technologies, and craftsmanship have driven them and still do to create progressive gear to enable you to freely enjoy and challenge yourself in the great outdoors. Today, Solomon has an incredible lineup of road and trail running footwear and hydration gear, perfect for any runner on any terrain, no matter the challenge. Check them out today at your local running store like Runner's Roost or on Solomon.com. Yeah, how's it going? Hey, good, Scott. How are you? Uh, I'm very good, thank you. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. I'm glad we're having this opportunity to, to jump on this podcast. I I uh, <laughs> I uh, I love being able to talk to like completely new trail runners. I don't ever have a chance to really chat with. So this is this is awesome. So <laughs> it's really nice to connect, mate. It's really nice to connect. How's your day been? You had a good day. You know, uh, my day is. I don't, I want, I don't want to say just getting started, but I mean, it is a little early for, uh, I mean, it's only 11 o'clock here for myself. So my day is just in the early stages. So not like, not like yourself where it's probably what, seven o'clock there in the UK. 7 PM. Yeah. I'm done for the day. That's <laughs> why <so> I'm smiling. <laughs> but I, I tell you, I can't really complain because I live in San Diego. So my temperature is here is always 70 degrees and above. So it's beautiful, sunny uh, summer day here in San Diego. So I'm no complaints whatsoever. <laughs> it's so funny you say that because um, as I was dialing in, I um, I realized that I have a problem that I don't normally get in London, which was the sun was coming through the window onto the camera. So I had to move slightly. Like, this is a new problem for us. We need to figure this out. Well, I know you get like what, two days of sunshine a year or something like that? Yeah, we'll make it the best of both of them. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, you know, I this is what this podcast is all about is is getting a chance to connect with trail runners and talk about their trail journey. And it was nice of uh, Abby, which is a, your wife, correct? Yes. Yeah, um, yeah. She was nice enough to reach out to me on on my Instagram account and and just say, hey, listen, I you, sh- you should talk to Scott. He's got a great story. And I 
I was talking to one of my friends the other day. They were asking me how the podcast is going. And I said, you know what? It goes, it's great. I, I love it. And A, I love to talk to people. So it's that's step one. But, but to get a chance to talk to individuals that I normally wouldn't, and it just shows like this is an opportunity that just shows what kind of community is kind of involved with, with trail running is like, Hey, you know, he's got a great story. It's he's part of the community. He does stuff for charity. He like, and so it, it kind of just adds up to like, okay, like I just want to talk to people that have a great background have a great comment, have great stories to share and let other trail runners know what, what other things are all about in the sport. So this is, this is awesome. We're having this conversation here. It's really kind of you to say, Jeff, and I appreciate you taking the time to, to talk to me about my, my little story, I guess. So I really appreciate that. It's really nice of you. But I yeah. think to, to your point, like, um, the one thing I've noticed, like going between the U S and you talk about the community, the U S and the, the UK, when you go to rail, trail races here or whether it's in the States, like the community is very similar in its approach. Like, Oh, that's cool. People are so friendly, so kind. And um, I guess like, especially in like the, the longer races, like I guess everyone's got an appreciation of like what you're going through and how difficult it's going to be. No matter whether you're from San Diego or London, people just want to help other runners to, to complete their goals, I guess. And I think that's really nice to see. Oh, that's great to hear. Like I, I, uh, I don't know anything about, and this is why I want to talk to you because I don't know anything about running in the UK and bring your rain jacket. (laughs) So, so let's, let's just kind of dive into this a little bit. And, um, I kind of want to get your background and your story, um, and how you got into running, but also like tell the runner before we do that, tell the runner, uh, if they're coming over to say there, somebody's coming over to London and wants to check out the trail running scene there. What would they expect from a trail running scene? What kind of terrain? Where would they go? Like, what kind of elevation do you guys have? Like, kind of break that down a little bit for me. There's so much to choose from. And I think because the UK is, you know, quite often people, it'll fit into like one state, right? It's probably, you could squeeze the whole of the UK probably into Pennsylvania. Um, But it is quite diverse and it isn't just rain, I promise. So I think like for me on my local trail, my local trail is actually a park in the city of London. It's called Richmond Park and it's an eight mile loop around. But it's so lucky to like live and run in this area. Like that park has like wild deer running in the park, which is really cool. And you wouldn't (laughs) think that would be in the city of London. So if anyone's just coming over for like a you know, a week and they've only got a little bit of time to get out running. The first thing I'd say is go to Richmond Park and have a run. You go right the way around. You've got views of like the city, you've got views of the River Thames and like a sunny day like today. Absolutely beautiful and like nice temperatures too. Then if you want to go a little bit further out, you can go into like the Surrey Hills. So there's some there's some great long distance trails down there in the Surrey Hills. And we're, we're not talking like in the States, I found like your mountains are just massive. Um, and you know, <laughs> Like Mount Whitney, fourteen thousand. <laughs> yeah. um, by contrast, our highest mountain in the whole country in Scotland is like five thousand feet. So that kind of gives you some perspective. Okay. However, there are a lot of like steep hills to like knock yourself out on. So like I went and um, did a, I think it was an hour run, hour and a half on the on the weekend, just gone, and like I racked up like. It was, no, it was, sorry, take that back, completely wrong. I went down to the coast, I went down to the south coast, and I did seven miles just like power hiking with a weighted vest on because I wanted to practice my power hike. And I realized at the end of it, I clocked up like 1,900 feet of elevation in seven miles. 
And it's like, okay, so the, the elevation's there. You've just got to go out and find it. Um, but going back to my original point, South Downs Way, um, North Downs Way, beautiful long-distance trails, 100 miles long. Uh, and then there's actually an ancient road called the Ridgeway, which is 82 miles long. And it's okay. something ridiculous, and forgive me, you'll have to fact-check me here, but I want to say it's like a <laughs> thousand years old, basically. Um, it's that kind of era. And you can go and run the whole thing. So that, that's kind of cool. That's the southeast of England. Then you go further out, you go to my home country, which is Wales, and you've got beautiful trails up there, Snowdonia National Park, but definitely worth checking out. And then, of course, everyone knows Scotland. Scotland's just beautiful. Great whiskey, great one running. Mm. Lots of rain coming in sideways, but other than that, it's great. So, yeah, that's the, the trail run in the UK, I guess. No, quick story. And no no dangerous animals. So that's a massive plus. Oh, well, that's not bad at all. And, you know, and I'm, I'm going to just side, side note here. My wife is going to kill me if she listens to this and... Uh, her dad is from Wales, so she is she is fifty percent Welsh and fifty percent German. So amazing. And then my my grandfather is from Wales as well. So it's we've got some connection with with Wales, but we've never been there. Like, well, she's been there when she was a kid, obviously. But I, I've it's always been kind of one of our things to get down and and go see Wales and stuff like that. So you definitely should. And like Snowdonia National Park in, in the North of Wales, absolutely beautiful. And then we've got some wonderful beaches. Granted, the weather might not, might not be the best, but it's a beautiful country. The people are really friendly. And um, it's actually got the most castles in the UK and Wales, which is probably the only fact I can give you. Because Scotland's got all the great whiskey. Ireland's got all the <laughs> Irish bars. Wales kind of got rugby and, and <laughs> lots of streets as well. So definitely visit soon. All right. All right. We'll, uh, we'll make sure to check that out. So uh, like I said, like I said, it was a side note. So, uh, yeah, yeah. It was a good one. I like it. so you moved from Wales to London growing up. Were you, were you an athlete or were you into running at all when you were growing up? Yeah. So I always did like middle distance, like 1500 meters, stuff like that. I think the, the, the first time I can remember running like a 1500 meter race, um, interestingly, a German exchange student called Claudius had come over and they put him into our high school class and he was about three years older than us so I remember him absolutely kicking our butts around the track and I'm like <laughs> wow 1500 meters is so long like I wish I could run like that guy does um, and that was my kind of first taste of like middle distance running I guess and then I, I as I got into my teenage years like later on started to focus on football rugby rugby's a national sport in in Wales um, but yeah, primarily played a lot of soccer. Sorry, I should call it soccer. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, did that up until like my mid-20s, late 20s, and then realized that, um, you know, I couldn't keep playing soccer for forever. Um, wanted to kind of get back to, to focusing on running a little bit. And yeah, just started doing some half marathons and, and things like that, which were great. And then kind of escalated from there, really, into kind of ultra distance running and different adventures but the, the one continuous thing from that point onwards of picking up the running again is that i've always tried to do it for, for charity um and the, the reason for that is that as i turned uh, into my early 30s i was working in a gym in Wales, and um, I was talking to this guy called Colin, and Colin had had a cardiac event um, and was obviously in, in rehab. And I was talking to this guy, I said, 
But you come in here like three times a week and you're like the happiest man, you know, is chucking it down again with the rain gag outside. Um, and, you know, you come in and you're like the happiest man. Like, what's going on? And he said, well, you know what? I just feel like I've got a second chance to make the best of my life. And he kind of, it kind of made me think, like, what am I doing with my own life that one day when I'm in that position, when I'm older, uh, that I'll look back on positively, I guess. And for me, that kind of struck a chord. And I thought, you know what, I want to go and do something for the British Heart Foundation, um, which is what I did. Um, and then from there, it's kind of built. And I guess my philosophy on things is that when you get older in life, you know, the, the things that you're truly going to remember, they're not going to be like the trivial stuff that I had to deal with today in work or, you know, yeah. what series I watched on Netflix. I actually think it, it's going to be the times I had a bit of adventure, a bit of fun with my friends and family, got out there, did some cool things and, um, and actually tried to do some good at the same time. So hence why I always try to do some stuff for charity with my brother, I guess. Nice. Yeah, there's, uh, I, I do want to get into Operation Smile with yeah. you a little bit. Um, but we'll get into that kind of the, at the tail end. Cause I, I want to kind of finish out on that and kind of let you explain what that is and how you've got involved, because I think it's, it's a great, it's a great charity and it's a great operation. You guys, you know, you're working with there. So I want to get into that. Um, so we'll, we'll kind of circle back around to that getting into, you said you were, you were doing your half marathons and marathons. What was that turning point that a, got you into just trail running alone, but then making you decide like, Oh, you know, what? I'm going to try out a 50 K a hundred mile or 200, mile, 200 mile. Right. Like where was that turning point at? What, what kind of brought you into the trail running side of things? I think it, it was it kind of started with my training runs for like the half marathon. And um, I realized that I didn't like running on the roads and where I lived in Wales, it was easy to get onto the coastal path or it was easy to go onto like local trail systems and it just kind of got me thinking, you know, what, I really enjoy this. And then when I did my, my first half marathon, I thought, oh, this is really enjoyable. But actually, it's just like down the side of a, a seaside uh, road in Lanethley in Wales. And you're kind of running it and you can see mountains in the distance. And I'm kind of thinking to myself, that's where I want to be, like yeah. out on the trails, out on the mountains. And whilst I've gone on to do road running stuff I, I much prefer being on the trails and um than, than running on the road i think for me you know it's that's what it all it takes is just getting the road runner one time on the trails yeah think, to, to kind of switch it over to be like you know what this a the scenery is much much better <laughs> yeah it's a lot better on the joints it's not hurting me too much you know so i think uh more road runners should should definitely plenty of logs that you can like sit down on you know <laughs> a little bit of food stuff like that that's what really solves me <laughs> so you've got a you've got a laundry list um I got uh, I got sent over kind of a, a resume, uh, if you will, of, of what you're. That's, a, that's very what, to do that. Of what what events you've done, and and here I was thinking it was going to be like a one page. It's like ten pages of events that you've done, <laughs> both both actual events and self supported events. And so I'm I'm not going to go through all of them, but uh, there are some really cool highlights uh, that you've that you've got you. that I that I pulled out. One, I just want to talk about the self-supported ones uh, really quick because some of these are really cool. Uh, 2010, you did 2,000 miles Boston to Austin <laughs> in 75 days. Let's talk about that really quick. What <laughs> was that your was that your first like pseudo like ultra endurance 
event yeah. and what yeah, and, and, too, and, yeah. why, and why <laughs> Boston to Austin like what <laughs> it's just so random and it kind of went together so well so actually that was the event that I was referring to um for British Heart Foundation so yeah. I was working in the gym and I I realized from fundraising for the half marathon that actually the, the more creative or brackets insane the uh the idea the more interest it would gain to to raise awareness and impact for the charity so myself and my brother uh, this is never a good idea we were talking over a beer uh our friend, that's how uh, early, that's how all the good ideas start though <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. here we are like 10 to 12 Exactly that. So it is always a good idea to be fair. So we had a beer and we were just talking it through and said, look, you know, we'd all love to do something for charity. Me, my brother Reese, and uh, my friend Rusty, um, who actually lives in Austin. And he came up with this great idea of like, why don't we run from Boston to Austin? So we were pretty naive. We were completely new to the whole uh, multi day ultra effort, I guess. But we just kind of pitched up in Boston. Our plane ticket wasn't booked till November, so we just picked out a place 26 miles away, ran there. Uh, <laughs> we had a support vehicle, which our friend John and, and Adam were driving. They picked us up. We went to the nearest town, tried to get some food and accommodation for the night, and then it was just like Groundhog Day for the next 75 days uh, all the way to, to Austin. And um, it was just amazing. Like, it it was it was probably a life changing moment for me because I I think up until that point everyone said oh you just got to believe it you know you can go out and do anything you set your mind to but I'd never actually lived that and then realised that oh okay anything is kind of possible you do you can do it if you just set your mind to it um, and yeah that's where it was so seventy five days. Wow, man! <laughs> what a what a way to what a way to kick into the ultra endurance world of just you know what we're just gonna. But you were with some with some friends with some family. It, yeah. it does kind of help out doing it that way versus hey, I'm just gonna go do this by myself, right? And so you at least yeah. you have a little bit of support. You can support each other, uh, which is really cool. Yeah, um, like also just sharing that adventure, like even oh, yeah. today, just pick up where you left off, and I think that's really nice. So some of these other events that I've got here, run like Run Iceland 250, and I, I say these are all self-supported events. So you you ran 250 miles across Iceland, yeah. which just had to been just epic scenery the entire way. I assume seeing seeing I've never been to Iceland, but seeing videos and photos of that country, it's beautiful. It is beautiful. Um, the only thing is obviously it's very exposed. So like. Yeah. the winds and the headwinds of that part of the world because obviously you've got the old jet stream in that part of the world so everything's coming from the west to the east it was just headwinds for like five six days whatever it was uh, just blowing all the time raining a lot um but the scenery just picked you up it was absolutely beautiful um the one regret that i have about that is that actually we did a lot of it on the roads and i would just love to go back and run it on the trail at some point and map that out and see what it looks like. I'm sure somebody's probably done that by now, but yeah. it would be nice to just go and see like up on the glaciers, what are that like kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I, that would, that would be kind of a, a very epic trail run to do is just cruise along with the glaciers and stuff like that. It'd be really Can you imagine that would be awesome. Yeah. Um, the other one I got listed here is the Royal FKT for 43 miles. And you did that in eight hours, five minutes. What's the what's the Royal? Is that somewhere there in London? 
That was just random that I, I came up with. And um, I was, I, I've run the sections of the River Thames. So you can run all the way from where we live here in Richmond in London, all the way to, to the head of the river. But it goes all the way to Oxford. And I was kind of working it back. And then I realised that there was like a section which is just like full of like insane history. So like it starts at like Windsor Castle then it comes down to Runnymede, where the Magna Carta, which is the, oh, the boundary of like modern civilization, was yeah. kind of written on. Forgive me, I'll have to fact check my Magna Carta knowledge. There. <laughs> but, um, but like that, that was like the second section, and then there's another section which is like Hampton Court Palace, which is obviously a, a, an ancient building in in the Hampton Court area. And then there was Buckingham Palace as well. And I was like, actually, you can kind of link all these amazing bits together. So that's oh, how exactly cool. what I did. Um, to be honest, like, it was just one of those runs where I was like, this is really good to, to go and do, but I'm pretty sure somebody's going to break that time. Some of your regular race highlights, and this is, this is amazing. Um, I'm just going to read off a couple of them from the last couple of years. Uh, let's see, 2019, you did Moab 240. You finished 15th in 77 hours, two minutes, which is a new British world record. From uh, <laughs> British right? world, I, a, a, a British, I'm sorry, not British world record, a British record. And you're the first Welshman to finish the race uh, yeah. in 2019, which is awesome. You did Cocodona 250 last year and finished 36th in that race at 97 hours. And then you did Badwater 135 in 2021 and finished 53rd in 42 hours, 42 minutes. So, man, you've, you've got some really good Thank races you. on that resume. Man, that's that's amazing. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting to like, try and think about the highlights from, from all of them. Yeah, so I did my in 2019 and... Um, that was uh, it was a real eye opener to run in that two hundred and or two hundred mile plus distance and um, yeah lots of challenges that I hadn't experienced before certainly like sleep deprivation hallucinations all that yeah. kind of stuff um, ended up going from like fifteenth to thirty sixth and um, the nice thing was I came back to do it last year in twenty twenty one and on the section where I fell asleep on the trail after hallucinating horrendously. Um, I actually managed to finish in 15th, which was the place that I should have finished like two years before, <laughs> which is kind of nice in a way. Um, yeah, I did Badwater last year. Um, I'm actually going back to, to Badwater like tomorrow. I'm flying to California um, to crew my friends at uh, Badwater next week, Laura Watts. So she's doing that race. Um, and yeah, Cocodona was this year. So Cocodona I just did in May. And then I'm going to run the Bigfoot 200 on the 13th of August uh, in the Pacific Northwest. And then I've done a bunch of races in the UK as well, which are kind of cool. Like, yeah. Now, have you, uh, since you've done Moab and you're doing Bigfoot, I mean, is there any thoughts of doing the Triple Crown and getting all three of them done in the same year? Yeah, 100%. Um, so, to be honest with you, it was a bit of a saga last year. So, I got into uh, Moab, uh, Badwater in 2020. Um, I got selected and invited to run the race, and it got cancelled because of COVID. Yep. So it got pushed back to 2021. And I realised that there was an opportunity to do Badwater and the Triple Crown in the same year. So I was completely sold on on that potential. <laughs> so when I ran Badwater, um, I just wanted to finish the race because a lot of people like don't finish that race the first time. I was like, I just need to 
get it done, then we're going to have a quick turnaround and then we'll go and run Bigfoot 200. So let's just say mistakes were made after bad water is probably the best way to describe it. A lot of mistakes. Um, number one was that I finished the race and I didn't really have much time to enjoy like finishing bad water or reflect on it. I was literally like a couple of days later on the plane back to London, spent two weeks working. My boss very kindly allowed me the opportunity to, to go back to the States to run Bigfoot. Now, this is two weeks later. Um, foolishly, I kind of thought, well, I'll carry most of that heat acclimatization through for the next two weeks. Um, get up to Seattle on the Wednesday night before the race starts on the Friday. Had to fly via LA because no direct flights because it's still coming out of COVID. Um, get into Seattle really late. Get up early the next morning, very jet lagged. So it's already starting to unravel. And then um, drove down to the race uh, finish line, which is where the check-in is. Checked in for the race. Then I had to drive an hour and a half to the only hotel accommodation that I could find that was available. So now I'm an hour and a half from where I need to be at like 5 a.m. the next oh morning. Oh, my God. So I go to sleep at like 7 p.m. in the evening. And every hour on the hour, a train came through this town. And every time it just beeped a horn and woke me up all night. So then I obviously now it's just starting to get ridiculous. I haven't even started the race. <laughs> so then I go down to the race start and um, another big mistake um, was that I had only packed in my bag when I came across on the plane, just forgot. I only put 205, two times 500 mil flasks into my bag, which meant that I only could carry one liter of water for each section of the race. So we're standing there, you know, waiting to start and the race director is uh, chatting away and she's like, you know, just be careful out there. It's really hot today. And then she muttered some words about it being like 98 Fahrenheit. And I'm like, hang on. <laughs> I thought I was in like the Seattle region. Why is it 98? And like quickly bring up my phone. I'm looking at it. I'm like, wow, it's going to be like 42 degrees Celsius. That is way too hot. And there's this 20-mile section. I knew it before I even got there. I was like, I am really going to struggle to get through like a hot section like this. Coming from where I come from, we're not really acclimatized to heat at all. And only two phones in the flash. And sure enough, ran out of water, started being sick, dehydrated. Um then my uh, IT van cramped up because I was dehydrated. And you can see it's almost like a cascade of events that like <laughs> just one after another. And even though I knew it was happening, there was nothing I could do to stop it. Um, eventually, I, I kind of weighed into the, the, the aid station at 30 miles. And it took me like an hour. And normally, I'm in and out of an aid station in like 10 minutes, 15 minutes max. Um and I was there for like an hour and a half trying to rehydrate and, and carry on the race because I'd come so far and I knew it would be a big part of the Triple Crown, uh, especially Bigfoot, which is a really tough race. Um, and I managed to rally a little bit and I kept going and I made it to 160 miles. But all the time, I was trying to stay ahead of these cutoffs and I was doing it, I was doing it, I was doing it, but I was getting more and more sleep deprived and sleep deprived. And then eventually yeah. I fell asleep in the woods ended up going back to by mistake to an aid station that I previously just left and they were like this aid station is closed and I'm like okay I'm done um, <laughs> and I stood on the, the side of the trail just crying my eyes out because I'm all alone in this you know 
forest on the side of a mountain in the middle of nowhere thinking that's completely ruined the triple crown um which i was devastated about anyway so that was big for triple crown now blown out the window um i was planning to run tahoe a month later i signed up for it it was in the triple crown and um that got cancelled because of forest fires so the triple crown it was really well and truly done um and then the only race left was moab so moab was the one where i was able to kind of uh seek redemption and, and find it and i guess the, the thing for me and i guess in life really is you learn so much more from failure than you ever do from success in my humble opinion and um I think the big thing for me going into Moab was like, right, you got a lot of things wrong. What are you going to do to like, I guess, not say a break, but like have the courage to make those changes when you're faced with the same situations again. And fortunately for me, I was able to do that. And yeah, finished it in 77 hours, which is 17 hours quicker than I did it in 2019. Which That's amazing. I'm pretty chuffed with that. You know, I wasn't in the top 10, but like, to get into that 15th spot and, and set a small record for my little country is um, something I'm quite happy about. So that's the, you, you, we wish you never asked now about the Triple Crown, I bet. So apologies <laughs> for blabbering well, on, hey, but that's no, my Triple Crown story. And I will be going back to do it, just not this year. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's it's uh, I, I'm kind of the same way when it comes to uh, the learning process, right? You learn... A, ton more from your failures versus your successes. And that was one of the things I was going to ask you, like doing all of these events, Coca-Dona and Bigfoot and Moab, like what are, I guess, what are, what's one, one or two things that you've taken from each one of those events to help carry your, your career moving forward, right? Like what have you learned about your training or about your mentality going into these races? And then what would be maybe one or two things that you could provide as a tip uh, to other runners to be like, listen, this is what you need to know going into some of these events. Like, is there anything that comes to, comes to mind? Yeah, there's a few, I think from a, a physical aspect, I, I think for me, the, the biggest things have been learning to have the discipline to deal with, with sleep because it goes against everything that you would want to do as a runner in, in that when you talk to run, you, you want to run as far as you can, as long as you can for as fast as you can. And actually in a 200 mile race, sleeping is such a strategic part of that race mm-hmm. that if you, you get it right, then it's going to help you massively. If you get it wrong, you're going to have a experience like I had in, in Moab in 2019. So I think there's, there's that element. Um, I think the other thing that's just really interesting and, and something certainly to consider, and I am as well, considering this point, is that everyone's obsessed about, like, I need to make my path as light as possible. It's got to be as light as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what I would say about that is that in a 200 mile race, taking like that 20 mile section of hell that I just described a minute ago, Bigfoot, um, if I'd been willing to accept that I should carry more weight if I had that option I would argue that actually the the extra weight massively outweighs the 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 risk of going dehydrated so I think that's something physical that when I go into Bigfoot this year I will carry four liters of water through that section because in a 200 a 20 mile section it's it's not a big deal right it's only a small chunk of another 10 sections to cover so Actually, having a little bit of discipline about the approach to each section is important. Um, food, 
hydration obviously key. Um, and then from a mindset perspective, I think it's just like having the confidence to just run th- run through all the conditions that you're going to face and being prepared for them. Um, but the, the main thing for me I've, I've learned, which actually I've, I've probably applied to my, my day-to-day life as well, um, where I'm a sales manager for Johnson Johnson, is uh, bear with me on this analogy. So if I'm trying to win a big account in work, or one of my team is, I realize that along the way there's going to be a lot of ups and downs and actually it's how you stay in that middle ground and not get too carried away when things are going well and not get too despondent when they're going bad and recover from setbacks that will lead to the uh, successful conclusion of the sales account closing and the same thing in an ultra marathon, right? There's going to be ups and downs along the way and it's how you respond to those that will determine the outcome. Um, and for me, it's having little things that I can dial into. So, for instance, when it, it's a it's a down part of the race, it's a case of right. If I get through this next section, can I reward myself with a slice of beer or reading some messages from some friends or whatever it might be to pick me up? And and by the same token, if it's going really well, what can I do to just kind of dial it back a notch so you don't get too emotionally kind of overcharged i suppose that makes yeah. sense carried away with the adrenaline because um, yep. that's fine in the first in the, in the last three miles but it's not so good on the, the second night of a four-night race right yeah <laughs> <laughs> so i i've talked to a number of other people that have done you know moab or cocodona or whatever it is and so I, I always like to find out from people trail naps the importance of them and would you rather do five to 15 minute trail nap versus get into an aid station and sleep for 45 minutes to an hour. Like what's your, what's your take on, on, on the, cause we talk about sleep deprivation. It's, it is one of the hardest things to, to plan for when it comes down to it. So I had an experience, you know, I'll tell this story. So I, I had an experience of Moab in 2019 that actually really scared me and hindsight it was quite funny. So but it was actually scary at the time and probably is still now a little bit. But I was, as I say, in 15th position coming into the 200-mile aid station. And at that point, I'd slept two hours in 200 miles. And I was going really well. And I came into the aid station up at Giza Pass there. And um, my two crew, my wife, Abby, and her, uh, our friend, Jake, um, and Briz, my other friend, sorry, three people, um, they were like, how was that last section? And I was like, oh, yeah, it was great. I bumped into some cowboys out on the trail. And I'd run all night. I'd literally run from like 10 p.m. the night before to 6 a.m. There were no cowboys on the trail. Yeah. Um, and I, my wife said, well, what, you know, what did they say to you? I said, well, one of them was like a Mexican-looking cowboy. The other one was like a stereotypical John Wayne in the steps. And they told me, hey, you're doing a great job. Just keep moving. I'm like... <laughs> So they're, they're all kind of looking at me, and I picked up this blanket, put this blanket over my head, and pretended to like fall asleep. Anyway, and they're like, "Look, stop, you know, dicking about here. You need to get out, and you need to start running." And I'm like, "Okay, but I need some caffeine." So they plied me up with a, like a Monster, some Pro Plus, anything that had caffeine in it. They're like, right, you got 40 miles. You've done 40 miles tons of times. Just go. And I'm like, right, okay, fine. So. Off a run, and I run the, the, the next section, and my behavior becomes slightly more alarming to my pacer on this section, um, where I was just kind of lying down on the floor and, and saying, look, why are, you, why are you making me run the race again? It's like, yeah, I'm not running the race again. You, you're doing it for the first time. You need to get up. And I just kept doing stuff like that, weird behavior. 
you get into the last aid station at like two, two, four, or whatever it is. And um, I, uh, I just had this like moment of sheer clarity where like, I just, it was like when you watch a movie and you know how you get like a flashback and it's like, whoop, there, there it is. The, yeah. you're, you're in the zone. I had this moment of like, oh, wow, I'm on Porcupine Rim and it's like 16 miles back and it must have lasted about 30 seconds. I cried and then all I remember was like, my crew were like, look, if we make your bag lighter, you'll be done by like, before it gets dark. And I'm like, that's amazing. You know, this is incredible. Let's go. Let's do it all. And they're like, it would be really nice if, you, you know, your, your wife came along and paced you on this next section. I'm like, right, okay, okay, fine. So off I go, out of the aid station, 16 miles to go, in 15th place, thinking, right, this is it, you've done it, <laughs> this is it. And then shit got really weird. So I um, I wandered off into the bush, I was sleeping in the bush, uh, <laughs> and all the time, like, I managed to lose my pacer, um, run away, and then... Obviously, at this point, there's people starting to overtake me. And I'm like, oh, you know, whatever. This doesn't make sense. I've already finished the race. All this kind of garbled bollocks is just coming out of my back. <laughs> eventually, the temperature starts dropping. And it's like, I, it must have been like minus temperatures. But, of course, they've taken my jacket off me. Like, I've got, you know, minimal equipment. Because this is a 16-mile section. I could run it in two hours, probably, in, in normal times. Um and then I, I fell over and I could hear this like heavy breathing, like rushing up behind me. And I was just like, get away. I've, I've finished the race already. Whoever you are, leave me alone. Like really kind of weirdly. And then I, I picked myself up and I ran away and I ran away. And I, I, I found this like, you know what those boulders are like in Moab, like this big overhanging rock. And I crawled under the rock and I wouldn't come out. And then, uh, Eventually, this this voice starts coming towards me, and um, I kind of put my fingers up in the crucifix and went, away, witch, away, witch. <laughs> and uh, the witch kind of stuck her head under the rock and went, I'm not your witch, I'm your effing wife. At <laughs> 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 the time. Uh, I was hallucinating that my wife was a witch, and I maintain that I'm factually correct on that. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I owe so much of my running to, to her. But yeah, th that sleep hallucination um, element really scared me. So it's something that I've massively tried to improve over the last <laughs> few years. So trail naps, no longer for me. Um, I need supervised napping. Uh, otherwise, weird shit will go down. <laughs> so um, I aim for a certain number uh, in a race and try to make sure that it happens in an aid station because I just don't trust myself to not wander off under rocks and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that might be one of the best stories I think I've heard when I've talked to people about that. <laughs> like, there's it's always, not what you expect him when you ask such a... Well, no, you, know, you, like, you never know what you're going to get. Like, people hallucinate like crazy in those situations. See, it's, it's really quite interesting to hear that that perspective so it's <laughs> i think i've sure. gone to like the nth degree extreme to a point where like actually looking back on it it was quite a dangerous situation and yeah you know right up there on the side of a cliff of porcupine rim and in certain points it quite easily could have wandered off to the wrong side and you know that'd be the end of you so actually that's what what scares me i'm like yeah i've got to make sure that i'm sensible about this approach especially in like the back country like in a place like Bigfoot in those woods in the middle of nowhere, you just got to be so careful. 
Yeah. Yeah. Cause you never know. There's, there's a little bit more wildlife up in Bigfoot than you're, you're used to in London. That's for sure. Well, you should come down here on a Friday night. We'll see what <laughs> Very true. <laughs> <laughs> Not um, the kind that needs like a gun though. You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I've never seen, obviously I did 160 miles of Bigfoot last year and touch wood. I wouldn't see anything this year. I didn't see anything, but I, like, Moab in 2021, I remember on uh, just after Shane Mountain aid station, putting my head torch on. I was just talking to another runner in a couple of minutes before that, and as I put my head torch on, these two like green eyes, like at eleven o'clock up the trail, a couple of hundred meters. I was like, oh, I just don't know what that is. I'm too tired to really care. Um, so. <laughs> If it's going to take me, take me now. And then I started walking towards it and it's Scarfords. And then later on in the race, I asked another runner, I was like, I saw the weirdest thing last night. It was just these two green eyes. And they're like, I stepped in a mountain lion. I'm like, what? We don't agree with that. <laughs> well, hey, Scott, I want, to, I want to circle back really quick to uh, the charity aspect of it, because I think mm-hmm. this is a really great part of what, you know, of your running, uh, journey is, uh, is operation smile and some of the other charities. Could you explain really quick what operation smile does and then how that kind of ties into your running currently? Yeah, sure. So, um, operation smile are a charity which perform uh, surgical intervention for children and adults uh, with cleft lip and cleft palate deformities all around the world from like Guatemala through to Africa, India, wherever it may be, uh, wherever there is a need to kind of correct a smile, if you like. And I guess what really resonated with me and it's something true this evening, right? We've never met, but when we got on at the beginning of this podcast, we both kind of smiled at each other and immediately it creates that bond. And I just think it's so sad that, you know, in our societies, the corrective surgery is done almost immediately after birth or a couple of weeks after birth where whereas in other societies it doesn't happen and that that aspect of being able to smile and, and communicate with people is uh, is taken away from people so it, it's very sad and i just wanted to kind of help to do my bit to make a difference for these people i guess and being very fortunate to be working with off smile as an ambassador uh, for them since 2015. I went on one of their missions to Ethiopia in uh, 2016 as well. And that kind of just doubled down my uh, my interest and wanted to continue to support them. And I just think they're a wonderful charity. And I guess the smile is a universal language of the world and in a way, right? Soccer and then a smile. Yeah, if anyone wants to, to check out the, uh, the Instagram, I'll be putting it up when I do my race in Bigfoot on August the 13th. But it's a great charity. And yeah, they do some outstanding work. You really do. Perfect. Yeah. And for anybody listening in, I'll, I'll make sure to put all of those links in the show notes. That way you guys can find it a lot easier. Um, Thank you. And go check out Operation Smile. Go check out uh, some of the stuff that Scott's got going on. But yeah, man, I, I really appreciate you jumping on. It was a pleasure uh, chatting with you. I, I, like I said, this is this is why I love doing this. I get a chance to talk to people I normally wouldn't have a chance to talk to and get to meet new friends and, and hear new Absolutely. stories. So it's awesome. It's so good to talk to you as well. And um, have you got any races coming up? Have you got anything planned? So, you know, I'm a, I'm a full-time race director. So, oh, right. yeah. So, so that plays in two categories. One, I don't get a chance to do a lot of races because I'm, I do at least one race per month. So my schedule yep. is, is always got a, a, some kind of an event on it. My next 
couple of races coming up. So I have, I uh, do races in Colorado. I do races in San Diego. I've got uh, next week, I've got uh, a very mountain technical race coming up. It's a half marathon, 10 K. And then in August, we're doing our first 24 hour and 12 hour race here in San Diego County. Awesome. And, then, and then we're doing another uh, half marathon, 10 K in Colorado. Uh, so we're finishing up. We're, we're about almost to the halfway point or coming over the halfway point for our Colorado series. And then October starts our San Diego events. So it's, I have a full schedule of racing, but it's not from the perspective of me actually getting out and running them, which is fine because I'm the one that marks the courses. So I get a chance to do the trail hiking and running during that That's aspect nice. of it. So I, I, I kind of get a chance to participate on my own, on my own front, but yeah, maybe one of these days I'll get a chance to get out and do well, I'd love to come do one of your races one day. That would be awesome. Yeah, man, you're, you're always welcome. I'd love to have you out here for sure. Thank you. And, and likewise, like you say, it's always great to speak to other runners from around the world and, and the trail community. So if you ever want to come over, take up trip down to Wales, I'd be happy to show you. All right. I'll take you up on that. That's for sure. <laughs> I hope you like whiskey. <laughs> oh, let's do it. <laughs> All right, Scott, I'll let you go, man. I really appreciate it, though. Thank you. Fa- thank you so much for interviewing me. I really appreciate it. All right, that'll do it for another episode of the Trail Life Podcast. Special shout out to Scott Jenkins for joining me today, sharing his story, his journey, what London trail running is all about, the types of terrain you can find, where to go, uh, his his story about all of his 200-mile experiences. Uh, I hope those are lessons learned for people to take and and have fun with, I guess, and and really enjoy more than anything else. It's it's all about the journey, and I'm happy that I had a chance to, to sit down and talk to Scott about, about all that stuff. So thank you for him for joining me. I appreciate you guys listening in leave a comment leave a rating if you if you liked what you heard uh it helps the podcast get found a little bit easier but thanks again guys i'll see you on the trails real soon the trail life podcast is presented by solomon for 75 years their passion for outdoor sports new technologies and craftsmanship have driven them and still do to create progressive gear to enable you to freely enjoy and challenge yourself in the great outdoors Today, Solomon has an incredible lineup of road and trail running footwear and hydration gear, perfect for any runner on any terrain, no matter the challenge. Check them out today at your local running store like Runner's Roost or on Solomon.com. Music for the Trail Life Podcast was provided by the Poor Dirty Astronauts with lyrics written by Matt Meyer. Matt Meyer.